If you have your Bibles with you and would like to follow as I read, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Hebrews is in the New Testament, and it reflects back on the Old Testament in a very significant way to help us to understand who Jesus is. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold faithfully to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And your people said, Amen. When I was in college at Winthrop in Rock Hill, South Carolina, that's where Melanie and I met in our freshman year, I had my heart set on going to law school. That's all I wanted to do, choir. I wanted to be a lawyer. That was it. I had no plan B, no plan B at all. I had gotten a job as a runner at a small law firm in Rock Hill, small plaintiff firm. They had run an ad in the local paper, and I applied for it and got it and took papers and things like that back and forth to other lawyers in the courthouse and so forth. But then at the end of the semester, they ended the position. Now, they told me they ran out of money, but I'm not really sure what happened. I just knew that I was without a job at that point. And so to make ends meet, I got a job at an office supply company. Melanie, you remember the white van that I used to drive and deliver office supplies and toner and paper and all those things back then in the 80s. One of our customers, the office supply company, was a larger law firm there in Rock Hill downtown, and I got to know the receptionist who worked out in the front. And one day, I got up the nerve and asked her if they had any openings, and she said, no. Oh, well. But I did not give up. I asked her if I could set an appointment with the senior partner. His name was Tom McKinney. And she said, well, you know, you can certainly do that. So I set up a regular appointment with Mr. McKinney, and I asked him if he would just give me a few minutes of his time. I put on suit and tie and remember sitting in his office. He came around from the desk, sat with me, across me in some comfortable chairs, and was very cordial. I told him that I really wanted to become a lawyer and had worked at another firm, and that ended, and would like to know if he would 
be willing to give me a job so that I could get some law firm experience during college. And I told him, I will work for free. I don't want any pay. I just want to try to get the experience. And he said, well, we might be able to work something out. So a little, maybe the free thing had something to do with it, you know. So a few days later, I get a call, and he offered me a job as a runner for his firm with pay. I was blown away. Four fifty an hour. That was a lot back then. Twenty hours a week. And I ended up working for his firm for the remainder of my college experience, including the summers. Unfortunately, I didn't do so well on the LSAT, the law school test, and did not get accepted. But at least I had some wonderful experience that prepared me to work for the insurance company that hired me after college. And it's really cool because the insurance company sent me to a small town in South Carolina where Melanie and I lived when we were first married. We joined First Baptist Orangeburg, and through working with our students, teaching Sunday school, 11th and 12th graders began to feel a call to ministry. And my pastor, Bill Coates, when I talked to him about going to seminary, he said, you know, Bob, if I were going to seminary today, I would go to the new one in Richmond, BTSR. And that's where we went, and God left us to minister here in the RVA, and we're so thankful that He did. So it's really neat to to see how all of this unfolded, but looking back at that time I spoke with Mr. McKinney, I expected him to be in an ivory tower back in the back. I expected that he wouldn't give me the time of day, but he was very approachable, very accessible, and came out from around the, the desk and gave me time, engaged with me, and made such a tremendous difference in my life. I believe many of us think God is inaccessible, that God is in an ivory tower somewhere and doesn't really care about us or want to give my problems the time of day. There's, I hear people tell me that God, they say, Pastor Bob, God's got so many other important things to deal with. I don't want to trouble Him with my situation. And I believe that God is approachable and accessible and available no matter how great or small the need. My hope for us today as we continue this study called Who is Jesus? that we will realize that the God of heaven came down to earth and became approachable in Jesus Christ. That God desires to be involved in our everyday lives and decision making. That God desires for us to give Him our greatest needs, our deepest hurts, and our darkest secrets. After all, God knows everything about us anyway. Do you remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139? Listen, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows our hearts. He knows our spirit. He knows what's on our mind. It's sort of like a parent who 
knows what's going on in their child's life. Not long ago, Isabella called me, my daughter's 14, in our youth group, and she called me on my cell phone. I was blown away because usually they text, but I got a call. Well, they were at youth group here at church, and I answered the phone, so excited. Hello? Dad, I have some questions for you. And I said, questions? And I thought it was some serious, like, theological question. The youth group was challenging the pastor, something like that. So I was ready, whatever she threw at me. She said, Dad, what's my favorite food? I knew that. Tacos. One for one. Second question. What's my favorite ice cream flavor? I knew that too. Cotton candy. Two for two. Third question. What's my favorite movie? And I thought a minute. I know that one too. Pitch perfect one. Yes, three for three. And the fourth question. What's my favorite color? Blue. Four for four. Bye, Dad. That was it. So apparently our youth are trying to see how their parents know them. God knows our hearts just like that. God knows everything about us. By the way, kids, if you really want to blow your parents away or, like, surprise them, just call their cell phone and tell them, Hey, Mom, I love you. Bye. They will know what hit them. So you try it. Or do something like a chore without them asking you, and you will just blow them away. So that's a side note for our students. But I'm trying to help us to see that God knows everything about us, and he's provided his word so that we might have it as a way to get through the, not only the, the good stuff, but the challenges that we face. God word, God's word speaks to us in our unique situations no matter what we're going through, how better, however major or minor it is. I want us to know today, God wants us to know, I believe, that his word is reliable and that it's effective. In this passage, the very first thing in verse 12 is, for the word of God is alive and active. It is alive and active. God's word is available. It is alive. It can change our hearts. And the writer of Hebrews who is actually writing a sermon to be distributed among the Jewish Christian believers in the first century, wants us to know that God's Word is reliable and effective and usable in any situation. It's like a double-edged sword. And if you know anything about armor and warfare in the first century, you know that the double-edged sword was the sharpest sword in one's arsenal. It could get to the very... It, it could cut to the chase, if you will... Um, He also tells us that the Word of God is using these as examples just to help us to see the picture. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and Mary's saying. He's saying really it gets to the very core of whatever the issue is, that God's Word can get to right to the heart of the matter. It's like a surgeon who operates on a patient to get right to the situation to correct the problem. That's, that's an image of how God's Word helps us 
to figure out how to move forward, how to make decisions, what to do next. We can trust God's Word in any situation. Jesus did that when He was tempted in the wilderness. You remember He experienced the fullness of every temptation known to man after His baptism, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Scholars believe that He not only fasted from eating, but fasted from drinking. And so He was starving and he was parched, and the adversary comes along and throws temptations at him. And he experienced what we know as the three main sins known to mankind, humankind, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John records these in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Lord lives forever. These three categories of sin are what Jesus faced, and he used the Word of God to stand up to the adversary, to stand firm, and to overcome those temptations. And if Jesus is without sin, and he is, the Scriptures tell us that, can you imagine how long or how severe the temptations were for the adversary to finally give up? That means Jesus endured more than we could ever imagine, ask or understand or imagine. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, the account of the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, using the Word of God, it is written. When you see it is written in the New Testament, the person in here, Jesus, is referring back to the Old Testament. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but for on every word that comes from the, mountain, the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command, see the devil is throwing the word of God at Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms in the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus could have used his authority to satisfy his hunger. And God's word enabled him to overcome that. He did not yield to it. The devil will throw temptation at us, custom designed to whatever our hunger is. 
It might be some other temptation, but you get the point. There are things that we hunger after, that we lust after. And God's Word can be useful to us as we seek to overcome those temptations. Up on the top of the temple, 150 feet up, he challenged Jesus to abuse his authority. Throw yourself down the an- and command the angels to catch you. You won't hurt your foot on a stone. This is the pride of life when we as God's people are tempted to use our authority in inappropriate ways or to abuse the power that we have to desire things that make us look good, to inflate our ego. Jesus used the Word of God to overcome the temptation to abuse His power. And then He was tempted to have anything that He wanted. All the things that He saw when He was up there looking out over the kingdom. And the Word of God enabled Him to overcome the lust of what His eyes saw. In each and every situation, Jesus relied on God's Word. These three passages that He recalled that he had probably learned and memorized as a child growing up. He welled them up and the Holy Spirit enabled him to overcome. And the same thing is possible for us today. You and I can be in any situation and the Holy Spirit will allow us to call up the Word of God that is appropriate for that particular time and situation. And we, we might not even have thought of it, but the Holy Spirit just brings, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced that. When we face temptation or struggle, the Holy Spirit brings that word to help you to stand firm and overcome. We also want to remember today that in Christ, God understands our situations. Not only does he give us his word that is alive and active, that can cut to the core of any situation, but he understands what we're going through. Jesus, as God in the human flesh, experienced all suffering known to mankind, all hurt, all shame, all ridicule, all the feelings and emotions that we go through, he experienced. He can empathize with us, identifies with us. As our high priest, he entered into our suffering. And high priests, if you study the Old Testament, intercede. Their job was to intercede on behalf of people to God. And on an annual basis, came into the most holy place in the tabernacle or temple and made intercession on behalf of the people and uh, that they might be atoned or set free from their sins through the atoning sacrifice that they were to offer. In the New Testament, we know that Jesus became that offering, that he presented himself on the cross as the Lamb of God to be slain for our sins and was buried in a tomb. And on the third day He rose from the grave. So not only is, is He our sacrifice, our atoning sacrifice, but He is also our high priest who mediates on our behalf to the Father. In Christ, God totally understands our situation. And we must hold firm to the faith we, present, we, we profess. That this faith acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of the living God who died on the cross for our sins and understands everything that we go through. I have a quote that's helpful. I apologize to the 830 service because I quoted the wrong person. So you're getting the right person. The um, 
scholar of New Testament, N.T. Wright, not Richard Rohr. So if you were in the early service, it wasn't Richard Rohr. Matthew would have been happy to hear that. He loves Richard Rohr. But N.T. Wright says, Jesus is the one and only priest. If there is any other priesthood, it is not found by addition, but by inclusion, not by other people being priests as well alongside Jesus, but by other people being priests within his priesthood. Jesus is the place of atonement, the place where heaven and earth meet. He continues, that is why straight after his great prayer that he offered the night that he was betrayed with his disciples, he goes out to face the consequence of bringing together the utter holiness, the utter holiness of heaven and the utter wickedness of earth, the utter joy of heaven and the utter misery of earth. That's what priesthood is all about, standing at painful, holy places where the great fracture of creation is healed, the great gulf bridged, where the Word has become flesh and pitched His tent among us, revealing God's glory as the Father's only Son whose very nature is love. That's what priesthood is all about, and Jesus, as the Scripture, is our great high priest who identifies with everything we can experience. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that this great high priest is our help in time of need. As we thought of things that we're going through in the pastoral prayer, needs that you and I have, we can take those needs to Jesus in prayer. And he intercedes on our behalf to the Father. He tells us, the writer does, to approach the throne of grace with confidence. We take it to the Lord in prayer. As we take things to the throne of grace in confidence, knowing that God is with us and that God hears our prayers, we will receive mercy. And mercy mercy basically says that God understands us that God has compassion on us, that God is saying through Jesus, I've been there. That God is approachable and accessible and understands. That's his mercy. Mr. McKinney, the lawyer, made himself available. He was accessible. And he gave me more than I ever asked for. I just wanted to work for free, and he gave me Money to work and more hours than I thought I would ever get and training that would benefit me later in life. He gave me mercy. And the writer says that we also find grace in our time of need. That we we receive mercy. That God understands. God has compassion. When we give mercy, we're saying to someone else, I've been there. Maybe you've been through a divorce and you wouldn't wish that on anybody. And now you have a friend whose spouse has left and you can relate to the situation. You can say, I've been there. I'm here for you. It's mercy. And finding grace in time of need is saying that that mercy is free. Grace is God's unmerited love. We don't earn it or achieve it or work for it. It is available to us free of cost just because God is the way God is. All we've got to do is accept it, receive his mercy, and find grace. Let us approach the throne 
of grace with confidence that we would receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. What's your need today? What's going on? Can you name it? Will you take it to the Lord in prayer? He's available. Accessible. And you will receive mercy and find grace. Let's pray.